there in verse number one. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The way you and I have peace with God is not through figuring out some formula or puzzle or something, but it comes through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. In verse seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So it's important for us to know that to have peace with God, it's not by passing some sort of special test or developing lots of wisdom in how we live our life. It begins with understanding that we are a sinner. We have behaved foolishly and we can be saved from the wrath of a just God through Jesus Christ. And Paul talks about this. He talks about the foolishness of preaching, the foolishness that's perceived that way of the cross. And we shouldn't forget that. We need wisdom, but we need wisdom that leads us to a savior. Well, in all the different Things that took place in the beginning part of Proverbs, this woman who's calling and inviting people to come to her banquet, and you have Folly who's calling from the other side of the street. We have all all of those things that we looked at uh, from the first part of Proverbs. I'd like to look at the second part of Proverbs. Uh, It's full of a lot of wise sayings and a lot of wise words. Many aspects of life are addressed here. Emotions are talked about, things like anger and envy and love and hate these different emotions we experience, family relationships, what it means to be a good father or mother or son or wife, Uh, sexual ethics and morality are spoken about, other relationships like friendship and our neighbors and strangers and political leaders and authorities. A lot is talked about in terms of character like discretion or righteousness or uprightness or honesty or humility and uh, the opposite of all all of those things. And if you'll allow me tonight, we're just going to look at two very practical subjects that go together. And so there's going to be a lot of verses I'll read, or you can try to follow along with me as as well. But we're going to look at the subjects of money and work in Proverbs. Money and work in Proverbs. And I'd like to read four verses uh, for you right now. Turn to the first, if you are able, Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. And uh, verse 23. Here it says, in all labor there is profit, in all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. It's interesting that Proverbs talks a lot about the tongue, and the tongue is a very powerful thing. It's something that we want to behave wisely as we think about how to speak. Have any of you ever got yourself into trouble with the tongue before? All right. But in all of our talking, it, he, he speaks here and he says, in labor there's a profit, but if we're just talking about the things that we're going to do, uh, that just leads to, uh, to emptiness, to poverty. Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3 in verse 9 and 10. Uh, here in the early part of Proverbs, Solomon will say, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. So the counsel given to us is make sure you honor the Lord with what you have and everything that comes in. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 29 says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Uh, 
James says it a little differently. It talks about how um, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is good, and his gifts are good. And then I'm just going to read from Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, where we read about the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made and rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. He blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all the work which God created and made. So there was a day when God worked and created and, and created the world and then he rested and God himself attributes work to his own creative act. And so wealth and work or money and work, there are some different perspectives about wealth that you may come across in our life. Uh, one of them is that money is evil, that money is bad. Uh, it's in and of itself a, a, a dirty thing. Uh, we do read in First Timothy chapter 6 that the love of money is the root of all evil, which, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We have a warning of Paul to Timothy that to love money is, as it were, the root of all evil and covetousness and all that goes with those pursuing money. We have another story in the Bible. We have in Matthew chapter 19, the story of Jesus interacting with a ruler who is very wealthy and he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus says unto him, if thou be perfect, sell, go and sell that thou hast, give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And then Jesus speaks about how it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And there's a warning there for us about loving money, being so attached to it. In this case, the young man so attached to these things that he was unable to let them go in order to follow the Lord. So there are some who have this idea, I wasn't alive in the 60s or 70s, believe it or not, but... uh, there is some ideas, right? No such thing as personal property. Or maybe we all live in a commune and we all have this certain way of living where maybe we don't have to have private property or possessions or anything like that. And so this idea evidently does exist out there. There's another perspective that says this, money is the greatest good. It can solve all of our problems. If we just throw money at it or have enough money uh, and we have the things that we need, it can solve the most problematic situations. There's even something called the prosperity gospel, which you may come across many times on a TV program or something like that. Send me money and God will bless you and make you much richer than you ever were to begin with. And, uh, you know, God wants you to be famous and comfortable and rich and healthy. And I think all the prosperity preachers have all died. And if we look at the apostle Paul, he certainly was close to the Lord, but didn't seem to reflect any of those Uh, physical advantages that maybe are talked about by some. I don't think God wants us to be in pain or something like that, but there is an idea that money is the greatest good. Some trust in riches, that it will solve all of their problems. If I could only have enough stuff in life, this house or car or bank account or retirement account or whatever this is, if I could just have that, but if if I could win that lottery, right? The Ohio Powerball, do they? I think they have Powerball in Ohio. I don't know. But if I could just win whatever that is, man, that would solve all the problems. And uh, there are many who stand in line scratching off those things and buying those long things. And uh, they're at 7-Eleven or, or wherever, wherever you might find those things. 
Some think work is evil. They avoid it as much as possible or they complain about it when they have to do anything that requires a little extra effort. Proverbs 26 talks about the slothful man and it's, it's really humorous the way he describes it. Proverbs 26 verse 13, he says, the slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way, a lion in the streets. Have you ever, uh, well, all of you have been a kid. I don't know if you were like me, but uh, you can come up with all sorts of creative excuses why not to do the things that you need to do. Uh, this individual is, uh, he's concerned about what happens if uh, he goes outside, right? If he goes off to work, there's, there's going to be a lion that's going to attack him, I guess. As a door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful man, uh, slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. This guy is very clever. He's very uh, full of his own idea of, of things. And so he's, he's smarter in his own mind, his own estimation than, uh, than seven men who have a, have a good reason. And so excuses or reasons to avoid work or the legitimacy of it, all of it. There are some who find work the greatest good. They trust in their ability to do things physically, perhaps, or through their own economic ability. They trust in it. They live for it and what it can accomplish. They find their identity in their work. Everything in life becomes defined by their work. They neglect their family. They ignore people and they forget God. Um, someone I know who's a pastor was talking with a man and he told me this story. He said the man he was talking to worked two different jobs. His family had kind of fallen apart. He worked just many, many hours every week, more than you would expect. And uh, he didn't need the money. And he asked him, why, why do you think you're continuing to let your whole life be oriented about what you're doing in terms of your job and you don't have any other relationships, it seems like, and other things are falling apart? And he said, I'm trying to impress my dad. My dad always said, you'll never amount to anything. And so I got to accomplish something. And he, he said, where is your dad now? He said, he's been dead for about five or six years. Still spending his life pursuing something that, to be honest, without the Lord, without relationships, without people, uh, won't matter a whole lot once, once he's passed away. And so there are some who, who wrap their lives around those sorts of things to, at the expense of, of something else. Well, m- money and work uh, wealth, these sorts of things, they're ancient concepts. Whether we like it or not, they're unavoidable. Someone said there are two things in life that are unavoidable, and this is the right time of year to think about those, death and taxes, right? We read about Jesus and Peter. Remember Jesus, uh, Peter needing to go fish, right? And inside the fish's mouth was a gold coin. He needed to pay this temple tax. And so uh, they, they paid this tax. Interesting account in, in the New Testament. Cain and Abel, we read about Cain. Uh, and he worked hard. Cain was a green thumb. He was a gardener. He had vegetables and plants and things like that. And Abel actually had a little bit of a different gifting. He had sheep and cattle. And, and so uh, they had different work that they did in their very first part of the family. Uh, we read about um, the Good Samaritan, how he uh, found a man who was hurt and he had an, an, uh, a donkey and he was able to put him on the, his own animal and get him to, to uh, somewhere where he could be uh, taken care of. And he said, hey, here's some money to cover his costs, his medical expenses. And by the way, if it costs you more, I'll, I'll make sure I come back and cover that cost as well. We know that money today is a necessary component of daily life. 
uh, it's part of how we how we relate to one another. It's how I do one thing and you do something else and we meet each other's needs. Money is a means of exchange. So instead of passing around IOU papers or you know, me trading in my chickens for, uh, for, for, for your uh, screws and nails at the hardware store, they, they've come up with a system to be able to trade what your work does, my work does, and we meet each other's needs through these works. And so work is an ancient concept. We read about God working and then resting. We know that God gave Adam work in the garden, didn't he? One of the things he tasked Adam with was naming the animals. But Adam and Eve also had the job of tending to the garden. They were put into the garden in Genesis 2.15 to dress it and to keep it. And then, of course, something changed in Genesis 3. We have this account, and if you've ever, uh, men, have you ever started a project that was going to be really simple and really easy and then found out that it was a lot more complicated than you expected it to be? You ever go to take down a wall and the entire ceiling ends up coming out? Uh, or going to change a tire and all of a sudden there the, a whole bunch of brakes and all these other things? Ever taken your car to the mechanic and it turns into a, a much bigger thing than you had expected? This is why. <clears throat> Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so it's wise to teach our children that the way in which we eat involves sweat. This is the pattern. And I don't know if they, I guess they didn't sweat before the earth was cursed. They had work to do, but now we do. And there's thorns and thistles. And some of these things now come along with just living life. It's part of the path of life. And a wise person understands that. And so because money and work are unavoidable concepts, And many people have not learned a wise way to think about these things. Let's look at how Proverbs talks about some of these things. First of all, let's look at wealth and worship. Wealth and worship. Wealth properly understood is good. Someone said it this way. Money makes a noble servant and an evil master. When we think about it properly or wisely, it can be a very, very good thing. In Proverbs 8 and verse 18, 8 and verse 18, it says, Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. We see that God made the world and it was good, and he made all sorts of things in this world. He made, or at least the capacity for wheat fields, and inside the mountains he put things like gold and silver and copper, oil in the oil fields, uh, coal. And and God provides for people, us, through the resources he has left for us on this earth through through work. And it's, it's a wealth, it's a way to live our lives, to take care of our families, to establish a community, all of these sorts meet each other's needs through the things and resources he has provided. We think of Joseph or Job or Abraham, and we see how God provided through them for the resources of the world. We think about Jesus, how he, uh, 
he came into the world and, and, and God intentionally, he, he came in poor. He came in as the child of, uh, of Mary and Joseph and they didn't have anything to speak of. Uh, but very quickly, the Magi came and they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I don't know what they did with the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That Bible doesn't clearly say anything about that, although uh, it, it's, a, it's likely that they gave them away or traded them or used them or, or whatever to, to cover some of their expenses and they had to leave to go to Egypt and many other things, but, but, uh, but gifts there. It's important to remember that money never belongs to us. These resources we find in the world, the, the Bible says in Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. If wealth ever becomes more important than the word or more valuable to us than the pleasure of God, we begin to live a meaningless life and perhaps a life that will actually lead us into the destruction those other verses mentioned. Someone gave some good advice about how to, how to examine whether something in our life has become an idol, whether or, or not we're worshiping that instead of worshiping the Lord, whether or not we're per, perhaps following idolatry. And he, he said, ask these questions of yourself. Ask, what, are, what am I most afraid of? Uh, maybe you'd say, I, I don't want to be alone, or I don't want a family member to die, or I don't want to lose my job, or I don't want to lose the friends that I have. What you're most afraid of, perhaps behind that, maybe your idol. The Bible speaks about, in a slightly different way than maybe we sometimes think of it, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, where we we what has our primary attention what we are most not wanting to lose is 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 our lord we worship him before everything else what am i most afraid of what do i long for most passionately what motivates me to get up in the morning or why do i go to work or why do i do these things whatever motivates me what's what what is motivating me where do i run for comfort when things go bad do you Run to alcohol or run to food or run to vice or get angry or just stay in bed all day. Where do you run for comfort? Is it the Lord or is it something else? What do I complain about the most? What am I most frustrated with? What makes me the happiest? What are the best memories in my life? What do I make the biggest sacrifices for, like time or energy or money or effort? What in my life is motivating me to make the most sacrifices for those things? Is it Jesus? Is it the Lord? Whose approval am I seeking when I make decisions? Am I, who am I trying to impress? Who am I trying most to please? Is it the Lord? And what do I treasure the most? What is the one person or thing that if it was taken from me, Everything else in life would be meaningless. You can't have that one thing. And that may be a sign of idolatry if it's not the Lord. In First Timothy, once again, Paul tells Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. It's an absolutely essential part of life. We would live very shortly without food and water and sometimes a roof over our heads, especially in Ohio in the wintertime. We need these things. But the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so wealth and worship. Proverbs chapter three and verse number nine. <clears throat> we read this a moment ago. 
honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thine increase. Jesus says something similar. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Our first priority is to seek the kingdom of heaven, to worship the Lord. In the Old Testament, I believe it's Genesis chapter number 14, we have Abraham. We have Abraham who God really blessed his life and family and he was able to have many servants and flocks and God was gonna do wonderful things through Abraham. And we read the first idea of the tithe where Abraham pays a tithe to the priest Melchizedek. And we see this backdrop for the giving that will continue then through the temple worship and all of this time where we give to the Lord first. He's our first priority, reminding us that everything we have belongs to the Lord. Our first priority is to worship him. When Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, they crossed the Jordan River and they uh, marched around the walls of Jericho and, and the walls fall in. Joshua had been told and he told all the people, don't take of the stuff in Jericho. That stuff belongs to the Lord. Of course, Achan violated that principle and you can read about what happened to him in his life, but it's a very important lesson Wealth is good if we don't worship it, if we understand it actually belongs to God. I am generous to give of it, and I take wise care of it. Secondly, we look at wealth and work, wealth and work. Well, the world does have a great deal of wealth within it. It's kind of spread out throughout the world where the gold and silver and oil is. How does God provide for us through the stuff the world, this earth has to offer. Well, it comes through work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul will speak to the Thessalonians and he'll say this. He'll say, uh, when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Uh, that's an interesting phrase. Um, would not work. If there's someone among you who will not work, there are times when we can't do certain things. Some of us are better at math than others. Some of us are better at electrical than others. Some of us are better at mudding than others. Uh, there are some things that we may or may not be able to do well, but the individual who will not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. The concern was that there were some who talked a lot, but maybe just took advantage of the system and just didn't have a heart. They weren't willing to participate. It's important that we realize that we all play a part in being provided for and meeting the needs of others. Someone said this about work. The hardest thing about milking cows, said one farmer, is that they never stay milked. There's always work to do. You get up on Monday every week of, the, of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of your lifetime. There's always work to do. I've even heard some folks who are retired say, boy, I don't know how I got it all done before I retired because being retired is busier than before being retired. All the doctor appointments and all of those things that come along with it. There's something about work that God created for us. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4, it says, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. The book of Proverbs, and advice especially to a young man is seemingly, uh, especially who he's addressing, but the encouragement of, of, of the words of, of Proverbs is that you should embrace work. Work's a very good thing uh, for you. Uh, doing something in life, not just sitting around, uh, what's the saying, that the idle hands are the devil's workshop. 
I might have got, I don't think I got that from the Bible. I got that from the music man, I think. But uh, the idea is, 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 is there. That work is very important. God made our bodies to work and our bodies need work in order to grow and to thrive. I used to listen to a a radio program on Moody Radio or something like that. And uh, one of the stories they would have for kids to listen to is Ranger Bill. Ranger Bill. And at the beginning of the program, they would always have this saying, and he was a forest ranger and all of this, and it was always a character lesson or something like that. Ranger Bill, of course, was a Christian and uh, many Christian lessons in it. But this is how it started. Ranger Bill, warrior of the woodland, struggling against extreme odds, traveling dangerous trails, fighting the many enemies of nature. This is the job of the guardian of the forest, Ranger Bill. Pouring rain, freezing cold, blistering heat, snows, floods, bears, rattlesnakes, mountain lions. Yes, all this in exchange for the satisfaction and pride of a job well done. I imagine Ranger Bill got paid. (laughs) But the thought of it for me as a kid was, hey, he got to fight all these adventures. And man, if you've ever... Any of you have ever read the Little House on the Prairie stories? I mean, every other day, someone's dying or they get shot or the horse dies or there's the storm of the century. Man, you would not want to live their life. And Ranger Bill had a very exciting life as well. But the, the, there, there was a lesson to it that, hey, life is an adventure and you're going to get to be a part of it. And it's going to involve a challenge to our bodies and to our minds and school and all of these sorts of things. Don't lose an appetite for the work and there's meaning in work and there's something about it that uh, is very legitimate our bodies our emotions our spirit need work and also there's a a component we're not going to talk about tonight much but of rest there needs to be both of those things that are part of it but we work hard with our bodies our emotions our spirit it's good for us and then it gives us the ability to be generous with others through our work or wealth which kind of tie in together in proverbs 11 25 the Bible says the liberal soul shall be made fat and he that waters shall be watered also himself. The generous soul, that one who uh, works hard and is able to help others or give to others, there's something about that that allows him to be watered also again himself. We need to make good use of our lives, our bodies, our work and the wealth that comes with it. We need to take care of these things. In Proverbs 12, 10, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. He that tilleth his land, whatever land you've been given, and obviously somewhat metaphorical for some of us who don't necessarily own land, but making the most of whatever tasks or work God has led you to do, whether in ministry or uh, in some other field, to making the most of that uh, is a great thing from Proverbs. Ronald Reagan told a story, I uh, heard him tell this, not live, but uh, after the fact, but he he told the story about uh, a farmer who had some creek bottom land that wasn't in very good condition, And uh, he worked really hard. He decided that he was going to clean it up and make it useful. And so it took a lot of work to clear out big stones and level things off. And he was able to make it into a really lovely area and productive area for the farm. And he invited uh, the pastor over uh, one lunch on a Sunday. And uh, the pastor, he went to show him this piece of land. And the pastor came down and he uh, was telling him all that he did. And as they walked down, the pastor said, oh, it's amazing what beautiful land the Lord has provided for you here. 
And he explained where the crops were growing down in this bottom part of the land. He said, it's amazing how he's provided for the corn and wheat to grow and all of that, that garden you have there. And it's just amazing how beautiful it is and, and how well the Lord has provided for it. He kept saying all of these comments about the Lord and the farmer was getting a little bit more upset. And finally, he just said, Pastor, you should have seen, I'm thankful for what the Lord has done too, but you should have seen what this looked like when the Lord had it all to himself. The Lord does provide through our work. He created work. He's instructed us to work. It's through us making much of what God has given us that, uh, that plays into what God has intended, how the world to function. It's what wisdom is, where we are tilling our piece of land, waiting for the government to figure it out or for me to win the lottery or for my uncle to leave me my money or whatever the case is, is a, according to Proverbs, isn't a wise way to think about it. In Proverbs 13, 11, it says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. It's actually advocating that we don't pursue a quick, rich thing, but that we live our lives and we see how there's a, a, a relationship between our, our creative work and then uh, the resources that God provides to be able to take care of ourselves and to be able to take care of others. No lottery or overnight success. As I understand it, many who win the lottery find that their satisfaction in life actually goes down afterwards. Um, I don't know anyone who has, but there's something about not understanding the relationship of work and the value of all of these things that uh, it, it doesn't help somebody. There's a character that can come along with laboring throughout one's life to create uh, wealth or earn money. Even better than wealth, the Bible says in Proverbs 15, verse 16, it says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. And it reminds us that we need to be careful that we don't lose sight of some of the most valuable things we do have in our, our, our life. Of course, the fear of the Lord gives us the beginning of wisdom, and uh, a lot of trouble can come without knowing the fear of the Lord, but um, there's a certain value to, to having good relationships with your family instead of being rich. It, it, what it reminds us to do is not to play a comparison game, where we compare ourselves with others and we, we forget about what is truly meaningful and, 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 and helpful. Uh, if I were to ask this evening to think about this for a moment, how many of you would give up your right arm? You don't have to raise your left arm either. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you would give up your right arm for $100,000? Or your ability to see? Maybe for six hundred. We could have an auction. Um, your ability to walk. Your ability to speak. How about the people you have in your life? Uh, my dad used to say he wouldn't sell any of us for a million dollars. No one ever offered him a million dollars for us. I'm thankful. But... He said, I wouldn't sell you for a million dollars. We have many things to be thankful for and to value those things and, and understand the value that we have and not comparing ourselves to the Joneses or to others. Uh, of course, in 1 Timothy 6, 6, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What about when wealth goes wrong? And thirdly and lastly, when wealth goes wrong, money is good. Wealth is part of creation. It's really a, a way of speaking about the resources God has provided us by living here on earth. 
Um, but it can become a curse. And uh, one fellow, Ray Ortland, he describes the way that money can become a curse. He talks about it in four different ways. And I think this is helpful in the book of Proverbs. Control, conflict, confusion, and corruption. And let's look at these briefly and then we'll be done. First of all, control. If you go back to Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 25, it says, The liberal soul shall be made fat. He that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. But blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. Joseph was given a lot of wisdom. He was able to be in a position in Egypt where he knew there were going to be seven years of great blessing and prosperity, and then there were going to be seven years of famine. And so he had this idea. I think God gave him the wisdom to uh, build silos and prepare and save a lot of the extra corn that came in. And uh, by the time the, the, the starvation hit, many of the areas around Egypt was the one place people could go and find what they needed. And so people came and bought as much as they could. And, and so Egypt actually prospered in a very difficult time. And then Joseph's brothers come. And Joseph chooses to be liberal. He chooses to provide for the needs of his family. In fact, this was God's plan all along so that Joseph could show grace and mercy to his brothers, provide for them, and, and that was God's plan. We read about Jesus and how he came from heaven to earth. And he, uh, for our sakes, although he was rich, became poor so that he could uh, make us rich in him. And so we have to be careful about, uh, about, about the control or about being a miser, or trusting in money and not and becoming so attached to it, so much of our identity that we can't give in a proper, healthy way. Uh, the second one he mentioned is conflict. If we read in Proverbs 28 and verse 25, it says, He that is of a, Proverbs 28, verse 25, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. In James chapter 4, it says, Where comes, From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye war, fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. He says, you're so pursuing the things that you need, that you have a desire for, that you're not seeking the Lord. You're not seeking his wisdom. Really, you're not trusting in God. James says you don't have faith. They're, they're trying all the other ways to get what they feel like they need instead of trusting in the Lord. When people worship money, they fight over inheritances or they get attached emotionally to stuff and so they sacrifice relationships to those things. They give but are, have hidden strings attached to those things and it can cause a lot of conflict. Money can't we don't have the proper understanding of it being sure that we uh, trust the lord and how we steward our money and understand that i don't care how great of a bank account we have or our strategy or whatever it is how think how good of a worker we are and we can dig ourselves out of any trouble we come in it only takes a, a day doesn't it for a lot of that to change and so we can trust in horses or chariots or whatever but it's really only safe to trust in the Lord. And when we trust in other things too much, it can result in conflict. The third one is confusion. So Proverbs 11 and verse 18. Proverbs 11 and verse 18. It says, The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be sure reward. As righteousness tendeth to life, so that he pursueth evil, pursueth 
it to his own death. Selfishness tells us, get what you want or live for yourself. You'll be happy. Uh, The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. We have woman folly in chapter 9 who's telling us that stolen water or bread eaten in secret is sweet, but it's not for very long. When we... uh, when we pursue things out of a selfish heart and a selfish desire and we feed ourselves it, 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 and we do it in an evil way, we're not doing it in a way that's worshiping the Lord or to help others, then we are pursuing it in the wrong way. It results in confusion and death. The last one is corruption. And we'll just look at Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 23. This comes across a lot in Proverbs, this idea of being honest or ethical in how we handle our economic transactions. It says, Diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. In other words, to not be ethical or fair or uh, truthful when we're interacting with others is something that is an abomination to the Lord. It says it's it's not good. We, uh, Levon Wright, have any of you heard of Levon Wright? I think I voted for, I'm not sure who I voted for, but uh, in Preble County, and I've only been new to, I've only been part of Preble County for a, a, a couple years now here, so I don't have any history here, but uh, what is LaVon Wright's job, if I'm not mistaken? Her name is on everything. It's on all the scales, it's all on the gas pumps and all of that to make sure, she makes sure that when you pay for th- $3.29 of gas, you get the half gallon that that will get you, give you, um, to make sure the bananas that, you know, weigh, you pay 23 cents a pound. You can tell I don't shop for bananas very often, that you pay for 23 cents a pound. And, and so to make sure that we're, uh, we're not trying to disadvantage someone else to take advantage of them for our own advantage. In fact, wisdom has the idea that I'm willing to disadvantage myself for the advantage of, of someone else. It's a reoccurring theme in the book of Proverbs. The opposite of that is to take advantage of someone else in an unfair or dishonest way. Diverse ways are an, uh, weights are an abomination unto the Lord. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. So we have uh, just some final lessons about wealth, and we'll close here in just a couple minutes. Some final lessons. Number one, be generous with your work and your wealth. The liberal soul shall be made fat. He that waters shall also be watered also himself. We see that uh, God not only made the world, he not only had all the riches of the universe, but he sent his son to die for the salvation of the world. Paul says it this way, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And we follow in Christ's footsteps. We are not, uh, we are not to be attached to the things of this world. We're not to be attached to money or the resources of this world or buildings or fame or all the things that so many find their identity in. We trust in Christ and we are rich in him and we have an inheritance that's incorruptible in heaven, taken care of for us, if you know him as your savior. Lastly, we can worship in our work. Wisdom teaches us that work is good and that we will work, whether we want to or not, as we go through this life, we're gonna eat our bread through the sweat of our brow. 
And I thought I'd share this story. So uh, Harry A. Ironside was the pastor of the Moody Church for 30 or 40 years, something like that. And he evidently he wrote this in 1948. And so he told this story about work. He said, my mother was left a widow when I was about two years of age, and I had a younger brother only three weeks old. As my mother had a difficult time caring for two little children for a number of years, I went to work as soon as I was old enough. One day during school vacation, I went to work with a cobbler named Dan McKay in Los Angeles. He had a little shop, and I was papered, it was papered most beautifully. Instead of fancy paper, he had a lot of old-fashioned Bible almanacs pasted up, and there were big, bright texts. And people who came into the shop would find the gospel message facing them. He would put a gospel track in every parcel that he made up, and he would speak to nearly all his customers about their souls. He was a preacher of the word, seated there at his cobbler's bench. When I went to work for him, I must have been a rather lazy boy. After he would soak a pair of soles in water, I had to hammer all the water out of those soles until they became hard and solid, and then he would nail them to the shoes. I used to grow very tired hammering these soles hour after hour and constantly wished to have something easier. He said, on my way home, I had to pass another shoe shop. I could see the cobbler there cut a pair of soles, soak them in the water, and put them on the shoes without hammering them at all. And every time he drove a nail into them, water would fly all over the pit place. That interested me very much. One evening, I said to my boss, you know, I, I said to this man, you know, my boss makes me hammer all the water out of the soles, but you put them right on there, damp and soft when you get them out of the water. The man gave me a very sly wink. He said, they come back all the quicker this way, my boy. Sounds like some of the car companies. <laughs> I thought I had learned something, so I went back to my boss and said, Look here, I do not know why you make me hammer these soles. The man in the other shop doesn't do it, and he said they come back quicker, and he gets more jobs. My boss took out his Bible and read, Whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Then he said, Harry, perhaps I have been a little thoughtless. I have forgotten that you were just a lad of 12 years of age. And it's tiresome work hammering all day. I shall do some of them myself, and I will teach you to do something else to rest you between times. But I will not allow anything to go out of my shop that is not well done. It is different with me than it is with other men, with the other man. That man is not saved. He does not know the Lord, but I do. I would love to be a preacher of the gospel, but God has not gifted me in that way. But he does has shown me how to cobble shoes and has put me right here to glorify him. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again and I stand at his judgment seat, I expect to find every shoe that I ever that ever went out of my shop in a big pile there. And the Lord will take them and look over each one. And I expect him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you wonder that a man like that had power in his testimony? People often came back to him and said, Mr. McKay, when you fixed that pair of shoes for me, I found a gospel track in the parcel. I've been reading it. Could you tell me how I could be sure of salvation? The cobbler would drop everything and that cobbler shop would become a sanctuary. He would lead them to Christ, showing them the way of life from the word. When you speak of service, do not always think of preaching and missionary endeavor. Anything that is worth doing at all can be done for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were created for work. It's part of how we live our lives. The Proverbs, the wisdom of Proverbs teaches us to embrace it and it teaches us to have a good understanding of money to not grow attached to it but to use it for god's glory and god's honor i don't think really the pile of shoes is all that important personally but the people it touched and the gospel witness it was connected to was very important 
And evidently the Lord was able to use this man in his work to help him bring glory to God and be salt and light in the world. Let's pray together as we close. Father, we are thankful for uh, the fact that as we have to live our life in this world, that um, we find ourselves lost and in need of a Savior, and that we can look to your word to find wisdom that leads us to that Savior, that although the preaching of the cross might be foolishness to some, for us it's the power of God. And so, Lord, I hope we can all uh, know that although we're sinners and that should make us humble and repentant, we we do have salvation in Christ and we can be forgiven and made rich in Christ and and, uh, have that peace in our heart. But Lord, you've also left us wisdom in your word in terms of other areas of our life, how to live them with some wisdom. Pray, Lord, that you would bless everyone who works and bless our work, that it would bring you glory and honor, that you'd teach us to do so in wisdom, to steward our finance, uh, finances wisely so that we can not only provide for our, our families, but also give to others and uh, give back to you and honor you and our substance and our all of our increase and Lord allow all the things that you intend to happen in this life to to happen. Help us uh, be a gospel witness in all that we do and say and give us the wisdom we need for this, uh, this week and this season in our lives. We ask it all in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Appreciate that and how important it is that not only with our, our finances that we honor the Lord with it, but even the work that God gives us to do. Um, that we use that to to glorify God and uh, even to be able to share Christ uh, with other people during that time that we have.